Hello and welcome to the big topic in women's MMA. Frank Posen here along with Sean Humes. Don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com where I put up all my videos and everything like that. And also my other podcast, Frank Posen's Big Bad Podcast. So, Sean, we're going to get started with last Friday's Bellator show where Juliana Vasquez defended her Bellator Flyweight Championship uh, with a split decision win over Denise Keelholz. And uh, this was an awful, awful fight. Boy, was it bad. And, um, you know, uh, let's, I want to talk about how uh, each of us scored it, first of all, because, uh, you know, that. It's usually a big controversy about something like this. So I scored at 48-47 for Juliana. I gave her rounds two, three, and four, and I gave Denise one and five. What about you? Uh, surprisingly, that was pretty close to where I was at. Okay, I was so pretty, pretty with you. Yeah, pretty similar, right? Um, so there were obviously complaints about the score, but there was nothing wrong with the scoring. What was wrong is both fighters – didn't do enough to win the fight. So uh, the big culprit here was Juliana, okay? So, Schwan, how come she was so afraid to engage Denise? Explain it to me. Well, I assume it was her, because a lot of she's usually in exciting fights, and what she usually does is she pushes the pace and imposes her will on opponents. Early in that first round, I think, Denise's hand speed, her sharpness, and her power caught her off guard. So she wasn't fully willing to commit. And she was having problems finding her range, walking through everything. Now she was having to think and having to set herself up to get to the spot she wanted to get to. Usually she just barely, she just walks the girls down. They hit her, they punch her, she walks right through it, gets into where she wants and beats them down. But Kiltz is a world-class striker, and she just didn't have the ability to do that. She hit too hard, she was too fast. And she, she had good footwork, so it was hard for her to get takedowns, get her in clinches, or back her up the way she wanted. So I assume what happened with Denise in the, in the middle rounds is she got tired or something. Yep, you called it right. Okay. I, I, I honestly believe she's not used to people actually pressuring her. And once Juliana got comfortable, she started pressuring her. Keyholds is used to people her hitting people and people either going out or people being so scared that she can boss them around. She's not used to someone who's going to keep going at her and keep pressuring her. So that's why the fight was was pretty bad because, um, listen, when fighters aren't willing to engage, I mean, I'm a, see, I'm a big proponent of calling fights like that. Look, it, it's a no contest. You guys didn't do enough to win a fight. You don't, neither of you deserve to win. Okay, so I'm a big fan of doing that because it tells the fighters, smarten up, you dopes. Yeah, um, I wish there was a way they could push it. I think I think Keyholds felt like she was winning the fight. I feel like she felt she she thinks she landed the sharper and and more punches than Velasquez. Only in the only in the first and the fifth round, she went to sleep in the middle rounds. Yeah, I, I think she feels that. Her shots were more, well, like I said, were sharper, and the numbers she landed in those rounds overtook anything that Velasquez did. Because Velasquez, a lot of her work was that jab. Schwein, Schwein, Hasn't anybody told Denise that that's not how rounds are scored in, in uh, the 10-point must system? 
Uh, I'm sure someone did, but you know how fighters and camps are when they lose. Yeah, they're dopes. They start saying, "Well, I had her stunned, I had her rocked," and you're not you're forgetting. Yeah, but you didn't do enough of it. In her reach throughout the fight, whereas you had big moments, but you didn't have consistent big moments. Yeah. All right. This is everything I wanted to talk about about this particular fight. Is I thought the broadcast was awful. Okay, the commentary was just pathetic. Look at if it's a shitty fight, say it's a shitty fight. Don't use these fucking words like technical and crap like that. Okay, John McCarthy when he was a ref, he was honest with fighters. Now he's a broadcaster, he has to bullshit. Well, he. he it, you, it's hard to be very honest when you're getting paid by a company to work. It's very hard to be honest. That's who pays his bill. So he, even if it's subconsciously, you're going to shade what you say carefully. If you're, you might say it behind closed doors, but you won't say it on a broadcast because it hurts. It hurts. It hurts the image of the product. It to me, it wasn't a terrible fight. It was just a fight between two fighters who were used to having their way, and once they couldn't have their way, they didn't have any plan B to create action or dominate the fight. In Denise's, in Denise's side, she couldn't maintain the volume and she couldn't maintain her work rate or her sharpness. And Juliana's side, she couldn't ramp up the pressure. She would never really take big chances because she knew that Keyholes had something waiting for her. So she didn't ever came behind her jab, came behind her jab, came behind her jab, leg kick, throw a couple shots. She was never really 100% pressing like she normally does. So they basically canceled each other out. They realized there was a threat and they both canceled each other out because neither one has a very strong plan B. Juliana doesn't really have a strong plan B for girls who can scare her off with their power. Denise doesn't have a plan B for girls who can power and continue to pressure her. Yeah. And, and all this robbery talk is nonsense because the bottom line is that neither fighter really did enough to win that fight. No, it, it was, I mean, it was a very close fight. There wasn't any robbery. Like you said, Keyholt in two rounds dominated as far as striking and effectiveness, but in three rounds, that consistent jab and that length was causing her problems. She was missing. She was getting picked apart. Now, some people say a jab doesn't count, but if you consistently land a jab for three out of five rounds, it counts. It counts. But, the you know, I just think Juliana, you know, she was fighting scared. Man. Well, when you, when you really taste world-class power or a striker and you consider yourself a striker and you have somebody hitting you and really hurting you and backing you up, you either go right ahead, like side and you get flatlined or you get a, get a little more methodical with your pressure and you protect yourself so that you can make it through the fight and hopefully win. You can't so, just protect, but you can't just protect yourself. You have to actually generate some offense and that's what you didn't do. True enough. But like, you know, as I said, we, we made people, I, cyborg, but people made fun of Cyborg for not being disciplined against Nunes and playing it safe. And now people are making fun of Juliana for playing it safe and not being wild. There's no middle ground you, you just deal what you do and deal with the fallout. Fight your style and don't change it. How about that? True enough, but if it's going to get you flatlined and lose you a belt, I mean, it's a business. All that warrior talk honestly, is Honestly, Sean, I don't think that would happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it would. Juliana clearly felt something. She doesn't respect people's power. And the minute Denise hit her, she was like, wait a minute, let me, let me start jabbing my way in. I'm not just barging my way and I got I got to set it up which tells me that Denise's shots shots are very sharp and very hard 
Okay. Let's move on to Saturday's UFC show, and we're going to start with um, the return of Misha Tate versus uh, the retiring Marion Renault. And Misha won by third round. Uh, was it a rear naked choke, right? And um, she dominated the fight and won pretty easily. Uh, I think she looked as good as she looked, you know, many years ago. What do you think, Sean? Um, it was a good win. Renault's still a good athlete. Renault still hits hard. She can grapple. But the thing about Marion Renault is she can't keep a fight where she wants to, and she can't force a fight where she wants to. And Misha Tate was able to pressure her and be active with her strikes because she knows Marion Renault's not a great striker, and if she gets over over aggressive, she'll just take her down. And that's basically what happened. Renault's a good fighter, but she was on a losing streak. She had no momentum. And she can't control where a fight takes place, and she can't control the pace of the fight. Misha Tate picked her for a reason. There's some risks, but they're manageable risks, and it allowed her to get her rhythm, get a win, and get back on, get some momentum into into her next fight. She looked good, but I've seen I've seen her look better striking when she fought Jessica I. She looked just as good, if not better. So you have to yeah, take I mean, the context it, she fought. It may take a couple of fights for her to get, to get back into it, really. Now, I, but I thought she was pretty good. Okay. Now, yes. she's still being she's still being trained uh, with uh, Eric Nixick and the gang at Extreme Couture, so I think she's on the right track now. Uh, Holly Holm challenged her, so I don't know about you, but I think that would make a very good main event of a fight night card. What do you think, Sean? It, it would, but if I'm Misha Tate, I take at least one more fight. I want to get my time sharp. Holly Holm has fought a lot, yeah. and I, I get what Holly Holm won. Once that big fight, but one, Misha Tate choked you unconscious and she won. And two, Holly Holm had years to solidify herself as a big star in WMMA. And she's managed to lose multiple title fights. She's had some big wins, but she's had some devastating losses in between. Yeah, I think uh, I think she's going to do that fight. I don't think she's next. I think she's going to have at least one more fight. She says she wants to take her time. Uh, and she wants to make, make well, a real she says that. She says that, but... I think she's going to take that challenge. It depends what the UFC wants to do, okay? But I'm telling you, come November, that would make a very nice uh, main event on a fight with card. I, I don't think they – unless they're paying her a lot of money, I don't think it's worth it. I think you get, give me one more fight. Like I said, we'll see. What now, the other fight on this uh, uh, on this show is um, uh, Amanda Limosh. Uh, Took care of uh, Montserrat uh, Cornejo. I guess that's a very um, in about what thirty seconds, a minute. I think so. Yeah. So uh, Amanda is from Brazil. She trains uh, from Para Brazil. She trains with the uh, Alcantara brothers. One of whom, Yuri Alcantara, is a U.S. fighter. And you know, for a strawweight, Schwan, she's a pretty She's pretty big. Yeah, it's strong. So, her her physicality, her strength, and her power are basically elite. Very few people can handle it, and most of the girls don't have enough striking acumen to navigate it. So she's just going to hit most people, and they're going to fall down. We won't know Mont- what she did if she hit somebody and they hit her back. And Montserrat is undersized. Yeah, Mont- and she's most mostly a kind of grindy, gritty-type wrestler. She she doesn't really have any striking in, in the fights I've seen her, and she almost completely abandoned striking just to t- just to get takedowns. 
So the main thing I got out of this is I want to see Amanda against a ranked fighter. Yeah. But what we what they were talking about, what she was talking about, and also her manager, uh, Wally Dishdale, especially after the fight, what they were talking about is that ranked fighters don't want to fight her, which doesn't really surprise me because she might kill somebody. And, and apparently Tisha Torres and Michelle Watterson have both turned to that. Say that again? Say that last part? Misha T- uh, sorry. Tisha Torres and Michelle Watterson have both turned her down. Yeah, if I was them, I, I would. Michelle is at the point, she's a name. What is fighting Amanda Lemos do for her? Tisha Torres, that's a little shocking because Tisha Torres needs to build some momentum. Once again, Lemos hasn't faced a ranked person, so beating her is impressive to hardcores. It's much for their casual standing with the fans. Lemos would benefit even in a loss fighting those two. Those two only benefit if they get a win, and even then, it's not a big-time win. It's not a name win. Anyways, we'll, we'll see what they do with that. Uh, now, we've got on Saturday's show, we've got four women's fights on this show, so we've got to get through this. Okay, first one is the co-main event is going to be Aspen Ladd versus uh, Macy Chason at um, uh, Bantamweight. Now, Aspen Ladd is just coming back from knee surgery. She blew out her knee during training. And this is her first fight back from that. So, you know, who knows what she's going to be like, right? She is an elite fighter. There's no question about that. Now, she trains at MMA Gold in El Dorado Hills, California. Her coach is also her boyfriend, Jim West. Okay? Um, she likes to finish fights. Okay? That's the main thing about her. Now, Macy is originally from Louisiana, but she trains at Fortis MMA in Houston with Saif Saud. Uh, she won Tough 28 for featherweights. But uh, since then, she has fought at bantamweight. She's tall, like five foot eleven, so that's a big advantage. Uh, she's looked pretty good for the most part, but not really much of a finisher. Um, you know, it's an interesting fight, possibly because of the size difference. And I think, you know, I don't know uh, what Aspen's going to do to try to combat. Um, Aspen Ladd, I'm not totally sold on. I think she's an elite. I don't know that she's an elite fighter. Her performances haven't been consistent enough for me to give her that credit. She's allowed herself to be bullied and backed up by lesser fighters. All of a sudden, out of the blue, she remembers where her coach yells at her and reminds her that she's physically capable of dominating these girls. And then all of a sudden, she decides so, she's going to hold smash them. So, so you're talking about that fight she had with Yana Kunitskaya. And what happened there was West yelled at her after the second round. That's why she came, went out and clobbered her in the third round. She got yelled that, at her. That, that's my point. She allows wow. fighters who are in her class physically to overwhelm her. Let me, let, her let, me, let, me, let me say this about that, okay? She ain't going to get away with that. Dude. She does that same kind of garbage with Macy. Macy will beat her. Well, that, of course, because Macy, the thing about Macy, she is, and she's she's fairly tough, and she fights at a very high pace, and she's physical. Is athletically talented as um, Aspen Ladd, not by far, but she's shown that she can fight a hard three rounds, like a consistently hard three rounds. Athletically, she can't match um, Ladd. Physically, as far as punching power, she can't match Ladd, but she's skilled across the board. She can strike competently. 
She can wrestle competently. She can grapple competently and she'll engage you at every range. She's kind of like a, a smaller, less athletic version of Juliana Pena. Aspen Lance. Let me, go ahead. let me ask you a question though. The one fight that, uh, Macy lost to the UFC is a fighter she should have beaten, and that was Lena Landsberg back in 2019. I only bring this up because what the hell was wrong with her? Well, you got me. I mean, I, I still think if you look at the people she's beaten, she hasn't beaten anybody with any elite skill in any one area. Shanna Young, Sarah Moraes, Gina Mazzani, Penny Kianzid. None of these people are particularly skilled in any particular area. A lot of them get by on physicality. Sarah Moran, physicality, size. Gina Mazzani, physicality, size. Panny Kianzit, physicality and size. They're not particularly skilled, except for Marion Renault, who's a skilled grappler. But she's not a very good wrestler. So she can't even impose that on, she can't even impose that on Jason. Jason hasn't faced someone who's young, fresh, and can dominate in an area. Aspen Ladd can dominate an area. We just don't know mentally if she can flip that switch and physically if her body will hold up if she sets a high pace. But this would well, be... She has, to come, she, she has to come out and dominate because she's looking to get a title shot at some point. Yeah, well, she ain't getting one anytime soon, and I wouldn't try for it either. I'd give away at least one or two fights. Well, we'll have to wait and see about that. Okay, so uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting fight. And the one thing I'm concerned about is what is Aspen going to be like after this one? Yeah, you don't know how she'll be explosive. You don't know how she'll react to punishment. You don't know that she'll be willing to be aggressive right off the bat. She might be careful and try to be more technical now because she's been physically harmed, which is not going to help her cause at all because she's not a technical striker. She's not a technical grappler. She's a, a juggernaut, a Hulk-type Hulk fighter. She, she's, more much, she's more Jessica Andrade than a, who's a technical grappler. I can't even think of one right now. She's more Jessica Andrade than Misha Tate. All right. So let's go on to the second fight, which is also on the main card. It is at flyweight. It is Miranda Maverick versus Macy Barber. Now, these are both young fighters. Miranda's 24. Macy is 23. Miranda goes to school in Norfolk, Virginia. And so she trains at a gym called House of Muay Thai. The coach there is a, a former UFC fighter. I believe he fought up as well, uh, named uh, Mackin Samersia. And he seems like a pretty good coach. Okay, That's my take on it. Now, he's a Norfolk resident. Uh, he's a Norfolk native. That's why he's there. Okay. Uh, Macy is, a, is thought to be a little bit more of a phenom, but she kind of got derailed uh, by a knee injury. In her last fight, she came back from the knee injury. She lost to Alexa Grasso. And uh, she lost the first two rounds. She looked like she forgot how to fight. And then, and then in the third, between rounds, her coach at the time, Mike Valley, yelled at her, and she was pretty good in the third round. So, I don't know. Now, one thing she has done is she's moved again. She is now training at Team Alpha Male in Sacramento. So that means uh, Uriah Faber is going to be in the party, right? And so yeah. we'll see how that affects her one way or another. I mean, that's a pretty de- that's a pretty decent camp. And she mentioned in an interview this week that she's made a commitment to that camp. You know why? She took out a one-year lease for an apartment. Okay? So she's going to be there at least a year. I think one of the problems with her, uh, uh, Schwan, is she's bounced around too much. Her dad is too invo- has been too involved in her career. I understand she has different management now. He's not managing her career anymore. And so 
maybe she's growing up. I don't know. We're going to find out. Well, the, the hard part is, once again, when you change when you change camp slot, it takes a while for everything to really set in, even with the best fighters. Some fighters can pull it out, but that depends on the opponent you're facing. You face a lesser opponent, you can show some of your new tools off a lot. You face a better opponent, you're going to go back to what, what you've always done. Macy Barber, to me, was a big athlete with some surface-level striking skills, surface-level wrestling, and probably pretty elite ground and pound. The fact of the matter is she hadn't really progressed, and that's what's caused her the biggest amount of uh, scrutiny. It's not that the injury didn't concern me, but the fact of the matter, when she fought other opponents who were able to push her back and land in combination and rock her, girls who weren't really big punchers or anything, that made me concerned her inability to box. In the fight against Grasso, all she had to do was throw head and body combinations. And she would have thrown shots to the, the kick to the leg and thrown to the body. She would have beat Grasso. She was headhunting the entire time. So she clearly wasn't listening to her coach or her coach did, didn't understand the read. And she's been one-dimensional, mostly a striker. She hasn't really activated her wrestling in any sort of form or fashion. It's quality competition. Okay, so can, 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 I, can, I, can, I, can I interrupt you? Sure. I think I think that her time at Rufus Sport um, regressed her. Okay, and, and her dad chose that she go to Rufus Sport in, in Milwaukee. Let me ask you a question about that. How many female fighters has Duke Rufus trained? I don't know any. That's my point. But okay. even even more even more importantly. Rufus, for as good as Duke Rufus was as a striker, the strikers he's produced or worked with aren't highly technical. They don't have a lot of layers. Well, he worked with Tyron Woodley. He's he's a potato striker. Anthony Pettis doesn't put his strikes together very well at all. The best technical striker they have is Sergio Pettis. Everybody else is pretty so-so technically. They get by an yeah, athleticism. Th this, this is my whole point. That was the wrong place for her. Maybe Team Alpha Male is the right place for her. It may be, but there's another change. So you have to ask yourself, how much can she acclimate all this stuff against an opponent who is also a very competent striker, who is also athletic, who is also physical, and who is a superior wrestler and grappler? It's going to be hard just to pull these off against somebody who's who can match you in, in almost every range in mixed martial arts. I don't think Maverick's perfect. She's not a great striker either, but she's got a little bit more depth to her striking than Macy um, Barber, and as good as Team Alpha Male is about getting you top and working on your scrambling, your wrestling, and submissions and stuff like that, they're not the greatest game plan camp. They're not the greatest IQ camp. That's been proven time and again. But she should get better because she'll be facing comparable athleticism, and she'll actually be addressing her grappling. My question is, will it be able to be a difference maker in this fight this soon? We'll have to wait and see on that. I mean, uh, I think it's, again, going to be a very competitive fight. One thing Miranda said that kind of uh, bothered me a little bit is that she was surprised that the UFC would put together a fight like this between two younger prospects. And I, I guess she's thinking that she's not a prospect or Macy is more of a prospect than she is. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what she's trying I to say. I think she's thinking it's, it's like this. You don't have a lot of people with star potential. You don't have a lot of people that move the needle. Instead of having me or Macy knock each other off the perch, Macy's on a two-fight losing streak. Why don't you get, get her some wins or get me a better opponent so that when we do fight, it's more of an event and it's not some 
second tier fight on a card. Well, I don't know. That's kind of I, I think it it'll be a fun fight to watch, but I don't uh, I think it's kind of not fights like you said. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's go on. Let's go on to the third one. The, the, there's two more here. These are not as interesting. Um, both are on the going to be on the fight pass prelims. Um, the first one is at flyweight. Now it was supposed to be Sajara Eubanks versus Priscilla Cachoeira, and Priscilla pulled out, and they brought in a fighter by the name of Elise Reed. Okay, she's a newcomer to the UFC. I'll talk about her in a second. So we all know Sajara Eubanks, right? She was in Tough 26. Here's my concern. I'm going to predict. I, I'm going to predict that there's a 50-50 chance that this fight doesn't happen. Okay, and the reason I say that is I don't know if Sajara can make weight. Okay, she hasn't tried to make flyweight since 2018. She couldn't make it then. So she's been fighting at bantamweight where she has been, for the most part, been getting beat. I think she's like two and two or one and two or something like that. But one and three. One and three, whatever. The point is she was losing. So now she's trying to go back to, to flyweight. And they don't know if she can make weight. She doesn't know if she can make weight. Mark Henry doesn't know if she can make weight. Claudia Gadalia doesn't know if she can. That's her teammate, by the way. Claudia Gadalia doesn't know if she can make weight. So this is my number one concern about Sajara Eubanks. Now, if she was still fighting Priscilla, that would be one thing because she's an actual flyweight. Elise Reed is not a flyweight. She's a strawweight, okay? She uh, is from New Jersey. She is, uh, I think, 4-0. She's fought mostly for CFFC, okay? But she is mostly fought at strawweight. So if if Sajara doesn't make weight, I see the fight getting canceled. I don't see how they can do this if, if she misses weight. She might take a risk because Sajara is a bit of a name and it'd be the best opponent on her resume by far, but you're probably right. It'd be too much of a size advantage. If the fight goes through, I'm going to say I favor Sajara for one reason and one reason only. Even though at Bantamweight she struggled, her punching power and her, her physicality, athleticism, are giving her some success. She, she's backed girls off with her body punches. She's held girls down. She's taken girls down. Who, who at fight time are pro- probably closer to featherweight than they are to bantamweight. So at flyweight, her power, her strength, her physicality is elite. It's world-class. It's a difference maker. She can win one round so badly, give away the rest of the fight and still up with a draw. That's how, how much of a difference maker her power and her strength are at that weight class. So yeah. if she makes weight, her body punches, instead of backing people off, are going to Put people away, and at least read. Well, I think I think if she may, I think if she makes weight, she'll knock her out. But the point is, that's the big question. Yeah, at least, can at she least, make weight? It's it's a big question, but you know, I, I have to assume that she's going to. And I mean, at this uh, point, listen, you can't assume she's going to make weight because she hasn't made that weight in years. I. Because if she doesn't make it, I think she's getting cut. Well, that's a possibility, too, that occurred to me, but I don't know the answer to that question. What I do think, and I'll say this again, I think it's a 50-50 shot that this fight gets canceled because I don't think she can make that weight. Well, you may be right. and it's I'm not going to argue with you and say it's not a possibility, but I still will discuss the matchup. Um, I think Reed is 
Reed hasn't faced real athleticism. She's used to being bigger, stronger, and, and fairly more. She's good grappler. She seems like she's got good striking, more of a karate-based striking. I just don't know that she has the power or strength to hold off Sajara Eubanks. Not early, at least. If Sajara makes the weight, no. her gas tank isn't going to be good enough. Her gas tank will be pretty low, but that's only if at least Reed can get wow. through the first one and a half without getting her doors blasted and Listen, off. Listen, it's like I said. If Sajara... If if the fight happens, Sajara wins because she's a lot bigger than Elise. But I'm not convinced the fight will happen. Yeah, well, like I said, I I'm just talking about the finer points for people who may not be familiar with Elise Reed. Yeah. Okay, so let's go on to the fourth fight, which is kind of a low level fight at uh, strawweight. It is Diana Belbita versus um, what's her name again. Uh, Jesus, I can't remember her name. Jeez, I always do this. Uh, uh, let me look. Person's name either. Let me look. Let I just can't look. remember her name. I know who she is. She's blonde. Uh, give me a second. I'm pulling up right now. Hannah Gold. Hannah Gold. That's right. That's right. I just couldn't remember her name. Okay, so this is like a low-level strawweight bout. Neither of these fighters, in my opinion really has any business being in the UFC. That's that's just my opinion. Um, Diana is from Romania initially, but where she lives, she trains at House of Champions in Stony Creek, Ontario. So, Schwan, do you know where Stony Creek, Ontario is? No. Well, I do because this is my neck of the woods, right? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> I live in Toronto. If you go out on the Queen Elizabeth Way, which is the big highway around these parts, you go Mississauga, Oakville, Hamilton, Stony Creek. So that's where it is. It's near Hamilton. Okay. And most of her fights before she came to the UFC was actually with the promotion in Stony Creek. Like they have their own promotion there. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. She didn't look very good in her first UFC fight. Okay. Hannah Goldie is, uh, well, her full name is Goldschmidt, okay? Hannah Goldie is from Tampa. I believe she trains with her husband down there. She's like 26, 27 or something like that. She was in um, um, the Dana White Contender Series. She got a contract through that. In her first fight, she didn't look very good. She was supposed to fight uh, in March, and she got tested positive for COVID-19. So, Look at her calling card is sex appeal. You ever seen him? Her calling yeah. card is sex appeal. Okay. She doesn't seem to be that great a fighter, but she has plenty of sex appeal. Got a big following on OnlyFans. You know what that is? Yes. Okay. So that's well, what I'm, I'm talking about. Her for making money. I, I will not fault her for that. No, not, no, I'm not faulting her for that. But she, I mean, she has to be able to fight, Schwan. Well, the thing about it is, at it, 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 the level she's at in, in women's mixed, mixed martial arts, she's not a bad fighter at a whole. She's not elite. I don't say she's very good. She's fairly limited. But given the thinness of these divisions, she might as well be at least a fringe title contender. I mean, she's got a win over Jillian Robertson, right? I uh, don't believe so. Yeah, she does. She does, huh? Her first fight in her career. 
Oh, that was years ago, man. I saw the UFC. Forget it. I don't count that. Hey, hey, hey. People people take what they can get. People take what they the guy yeah. who beat Connor. Listen, 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 listen. That was back when, when when Jillian was living in Canada. She's from Canada. Okay. She's from hey, uh, we, we both know fighters live off of wins. They had a year. The guy who beat Jose Aldo yeah. still living off that. Listen, off I that. don't care if they do or they don't. I don't count it. All right. So, what about the, her opponent? I, I don't. I don't. I think this should be a fairly simple fight. I don't think it's very durable. I think the fight she's won have been against fighters who are, you know, fairly inexperienced, very skilled, and every time she's lost, it's been a, against a fighter with comparable or better experience. She doesn't have a lot of physicality. She's not a great grappler. She's not a great athlete. She's kind of like a middling athlete and a middling fighter. And every time she faces a legitimate fighter, she tends to lose, even if they're not very good. Molly McCann, legitimate fighter, not great. Liana Joshua, more of a better fighter, but not particularly standout or great so far that I've seen. And she's been dominated by both. All right. This is my opinion on this fight. I don't give a shit who wins. It's a time waster, okay? It's just another fight to fill out a card, okay? It's going to be the first cards, though. The UFC has to produce so much product, so most of these, yeah, most of these I know, I know, but there are times when they should just, you know, these two should not be in the UFC, okay? That's the answer to your question. You know, yeah, they I shouldn't mean, be in the UFC. It's, I mean, like I said, there's lots of people who shouldn't have the jobs they have. But if you can find an angle, you use it to your ability and get to fly your trade. I, I don't mind how Hannah Goldie got here. I want to see what she does in here. And if she wins a couple fights over mediocre fighters, and that means she's better than mediocre, we'll move her up a level and see if she's good. If she beats good fighters, then we'll see if she's very good. If she beats very good fighters, then we'll see if she's elite. I'm only interested in what she proves in the cage. Same thing with that. She should, maybe she should do Playboy. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not touching that. <laughs> all right. All right. I think you would. Okay. One other thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, Ryzen announced that uh, Ayaka Hamasaki will defend her uh, Super Atomweight Championship. I think the date is September 13th. It's, it's, around, it's in September. Uh, okay. Against uh, veteran fighter Emi Fujino. Okay. So the big problem I see with this even though it's not as big a problem as we saw with Sajara Eubanks, is uh-huh. Amy Fujino is a strawweight. She has never fought at, at uh, atomweight. Never. So I don't know if she can make that weight. I figure she probably can. The other thing about her, I, like I'm more familiar with her probably than you are. You maybe have seen her a couple of times perhaps. Uh, but her career is like this. She's a veteran fighter. She's been around a long time. But you know how there's fighters that are at a certain level? and they only beat fighters that aren't as good as she is, or they lose to all the fighters that are better than her, and she's lost to Iyaka before in Deep Jewels. Yeah. So that's the case with Emi Fujino. So I don't see any way that, even if she makes way, I don't see any way that she wins that fight. No way. She just She's never beaten anybody that good. So that's what I see with this fight. Oh, yeah. and one other thing. Well, no, you have any comment on that? 
I mean, you're probably right. I, I admire fighters who found something to extend their careers, even if they're losing, because it's a hard career to do for you to make money and still be fairly relevant. I respect that. But at a certain point, you're not competitive. And if you're not competitive, ultimately, what are you doing in the cage still? Or no, she's, been fight, she's been mostly uh, fighting for pancreas lately. Now, another thing about Iaka. So Ryzen... I guess it's going to happen on their next show. Ryzen is planning to present her with a gift on the next show. So what is the gift? It is a very expensive Harley Davidson motorcycle. Now that's it. Now you might say, so what? It's a motorcycle, except for one thing. Ayaka Hamazaki is a gearhead. Okay. She rides her. She's been riding her motorcycle to work every day since she started training at AACC, okay? Megumi Fuji used to make jokes about her getting into accidents, <laughs> which I don't know if she ever has. But the point is, that a gift like that is a big deal to her, and I fully expect her to start bawling when they give it to her, <laughs> okay? And hey, I can't say she hasn't earned it. She's been a, a very valuable fighter in the women's mixed martial arts scene. Oh, and she, she's she, been a- yeah, she, and she's getting older now. She's like 38, 39. You know, I've always had one uh, way to describe her, and that's Megumi Fuji Jr. And that's because Megumi trained her, and she fights exactly like Megumi. Okay, it's like she learned all of Megumi's lessons, and she is now the head trainer at AACC. So how about that? Hmm. Okay, so I, I, I expect uh, Ayaka to win that fight, obviously. Yeah, I would assume it's pretty much a showcase fight for her, so I, I'd assume she wins. Well, the problem that Ryzen has had is sometimes they, in the past they brought in um, uh, foreign fighters, and they, of course they haven't been able to do that. And um, so that's a big problem for them. So I'm not sure what they're going to do with uh, the women's division. This almost seems like they're killing time. Uh, yeah, to be honest, it really does. It, it seems like they don't know what to do next, and they're just trying to throw something out there to maintain some kind of interest and hope something sticks. All right. You got anything you want to talk about, Sean? I think that is about it, sir. Okay. Well, that's about it. Like I said, uh, don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com and also my other podcast, Frank Bozen's Big Bet podcast if you have any questions or comments for my blog or either my podcast you can leave them in anchor's voicemail and even if you would like to subscribe to my podcast you can do so at google podcast apple podcast and spotify enjoy the fights we'll talk to you later